Inspired Badass Life podcast. Today, I have a very special guest, Maria Natapal. She's a certified parent and caregiver coach. She heals trauma and breaks its cycle by empowering caregivers to curb their child's challenging behavior and deeply connect while tending to their own needs through self-care practices. Listen in as Maria tells her story of, of immigrating from Moscow, Russia to the States with her family to escape religious persecution. And then she realized her calling to help other people by healing trauma and breaking a cycle through parent coaching. Enjoy. Hi, Maria. Hi, how are you? Oh my goodness. What a chore that was. <laughs> no, I'm so sorry about that. That was all my fault because I, I was asking to have another option other than the cell phone. No, that's okay. And that's a good option. I just got to figure out how Zoom works on my cell phone with the Anchor app. So I'll figure it out. No worries. How are you today? I appreciate you accommodating me. I'm good. How are you? I'm doing good. It's a little rainy today. It's kind of weird. Yeah, we, um, you won't believe this. We actually had snow last night, which is, I mean, like we do have snow here, but it's a little late. <laughs> Where do you live again? I'm sorry. No, that's okay. I'm right next door to Boston in Quincy, Mass. Um, yeah, it's, we haven't had snow this late in, gosh, I don't even know. I mean, I remember when I was in high school, which was quite a while ago, uh, <laughs> we had a big snow snowstorm on April Fool's, and that was like, huge because we hadn't had snow that late in the game for oh, that's weird. you know that's weird too i'm sorry my my yeah. son lives in in wisconsin and it's snowing there too and he's it's kind of weird for this late yeah. in the year yeah now granted i can't complain because we had a really mild winter all all year and we've had some gorgeous weather so i kind of thought we were already going to be done with this but yeah just all over the place wow <laughs> Crazy, right? This, this Very crazy. That was a little bit crazy. Are you quarantined right now? I am quarantined. Yes. Um, we don't have a, you know, we have a shelter in place directive up to a point. It's not like we can't go outside. I've heard right. that that's the case in some places. Um, but yeah, for the most part, you know, just staying inside. Um, yeah, I've been um, self quarantined. I mean, nothing. I haven't been sick, but our work yeah. has. We get the option to work from home. So it's probably been about four weeks. I can't tell you the last time I even did my hair. Yeah, <laughs> I hear you. I know my, like my laundry is piling up and just, it's ridiculous. It is crazy. Yeah. Well, it's so nice to connect with you. Why don't you go no, ahead and start fine. and tell me about your story? I was reading it again last night and mm -hmm. I apologize. It's just, there's so many people that wanted to be on the show and I was reading it again and I'm like, Oh my God, I'm almost in tears. This is so, <laughs> Oh my goodness. So talk to us about it. Okay, sure. So, um, well, I grew up in Moscow. Well, I was born in Moscow, Russia. And when I was eight years old, we um, immigrated to America due to religious persecution. Um, we were Jewish and um, Jewish people really weren't allotted a lot of opportunities. And there was a lot of um, things they were passed over for. And, you know, life was just, was just difficult. So, uh, finally in 89, Gorbachev sort of recognized this uh -huh. and he was allowing people to leave. And the, the organization that helped us was, I believe they were based out of Israel, but they also had allies in the U S. And so we had a choice of going to either Israel or to New York city. Um, but we had to pass essentially stopping points along the way and go through interviews to ensure that we aligned with what this organization was looking to do. And, oh my goodness. Okay. Yeah. And so the organization, they uh, sponsored us for free to go through this process, but our country um, 
used it as an opportunity for extortion. So we had to pay significant sums of money that most people didn't have at the time to be allowed to leave and to undergo this process. And we had to denounce our citizenship in the process as well. And the other piece of those whole thing that I remember is we were not allowed, like my mom and grandma were not allowed to bring over their engagement and wedding rings. It was thought to be oh no, yeah, the country's wealth. So they weren't allowed to leave with that. My grandfather, who's a war hero, who had just a ton of medals and uh, honors, um, he wasn't allowed to bring any of that with him. We were really fortunate because we had friends and family who were, um, you know, saying goodbye to us and essentially coming to the airport and, you know, all the way to the very end. And so we uh-huh. could leave those things with them. But there are other people who didn't have that benefit and they just had to leave their stuff with strangers, you know, they just lost yeah, everything. Exactly. So thankfully years later, those directives changed and our friends were able to, you know, bring us these items very fortunately, but um, yeah, it was just a really difficult and kind of crazy time. I, I remember at the time, cause I was young, it was exciting for me because I got to spend all this time with my family and the immigration process for us took three and a half months, which was actually quite, quite fast in comparison to some others who were undergoing a similar experience. Wow. Is it really? That seems like a long time to me, but I didn't live yeah. it. So well, so the reason is these checkpoints were, um, so these interviews that I mentioned, they were by lottery. So our first um, stopover was in Vienna, Austria. And that was where our first interview was going to take place after leaving the country um, of Russia. So, so it was that piece that kind of took time. Uh, so we were fortunate because we got an interview within the first couple of weeks of being there. I think it was about, just about three weeks that we were in Austria in total. So mm-hmm. like I said, it was just the luck of the draw. We just were fortunate in getting an interview quickly. So we got to move on quickly. And the next stop was Rome, Italy. And again, um, so all of these people who were undergoing this this journey through this organization uh, were waiting to get an interview. And then depending on how that went, that would determine whether they get to move on or not. And, you know, as you can imagine, I mean, it's sponsored by these organizations in Israel and in um, New York and the US, but essentially it's not like they support you or there's privilege or opportunity to stay. So those who weren't given the, um, okay to move forward on their journey were just sort of stuck because they were resolved to not go back to Russia. They were undergoing this whole thing to have an opportunity to provide a better life for themselves and their family. So it was quite a stressful time. And uh, I believe that the nature of the interview, like I said, I was really young, so I really didn't participate. It was really my parents and my grandparents who were involved in the actual process. But I believe the nature was just to ensure that, you know, the folks really were impacted by the oppression um, because of their race. And so they had to sort of uh, confirm that they were in fact Jewish and just all of the various things that their the family had been through and in their personal lives, how it had affected them. But there were, as you can probably imagine, you know, people were just desperate to get out of the country and, and have better opportunities. So there's lots of people who uh, weren't, you know, they had had some Jewish blood, maybe somewhere down the line in their heritage, but, you know, or they weren't as impacted by it, but people were, you know, desperate times call for desperate measures. I mean, 
I don't know if fabricated is the right word or embellished, but it was really just, they saw an opportunity to go and do something better for the family and their. Yeah. Have a better life. Yeah. So you said you had a lot of, a lot of trauma in that after you came to America. correct? Um, Yeah. I think just that kind of an experience is really huge and it's really difficult to fully wrap one's brain around it, especially being so young. So there's a lot of excitement built up by my family, which I think is the right thing to do. Uh, But for me, I didn't fully understand it. So for me, when I hear, oh, it's going to be so much better, it's going to be amazing and wonderful. Of course, I thought of it as almost like a Disneyland because I was just so young. Yeah, of (laughs) course. To fully comprehend what that meant. The other piece of it was uh, myself, I wasn't told I was Jewish until we were leaving. And that was an experience that was pretty common. Um, I remember after the fact, learning that most kids didn't know that they were Jewish until they were teenagers, and they would get quite angry about it, because the whole sentiment in the country was not positive towards Jewish people. So, and yeah. we were kind of forced to join the Communist Party really, really young. I think it was kindergarten or first grade, we were inaugurated. Yeah, through the schools. And there really wasn't an option to not join. And then uh, certain positions also intentionally had like, like sort of party, they call it the party related meetings and things of that nature. Um, And so there really wasn't any room for uh, any deviation from these norms and regimes and expectations. Um, So like I said, um, you know, and the reason intentionally parents weren't telling their kids when they were young is because kids are really young. And when they are, as we know, they, they have some issues with censorship, right? They're very well-meaning, but they're young. And so they say things and it was, to be frank, yeah. dangerous um, for certain people to learn this. And sometimes just because of the whole, um, you know, yeah, that just breaks yeah. my heart. That That's it's horrible. So you had said that, um, did you say that your father left eight months after he you did. arrived? Yeah, my parents didn't have a very good marriage in general. Uh, when I, Like all growing up throughout my, my childhood, my young childhood, I remember um, they, there was just, you know, they just were not <laughs> in a good place. Um, the, the yeah, yeah. And, um, and they were finally actually separated officially at the time my mom and my grandparents, my maternal grandparents, and I were going to be leaving. And uh, because of the way things were in Russia, it was required to get permission from both parents about a child leaving the country. And my dad didn't want me to go. So my mom said, okay, well, then why don't you come with us? So he agreed. And so during this whole process, we were stuck living together, all five of us in very close quarters, which again, for me was exciting because I got to have all the people I love in one place. Yeah, but I bet it made the it worst did. It was, um, and it was Being interesting seven. because I think, you know, um, some true colors were shown with regard to the actual tension in their relationship and just personality differences. And I think it was, I mean, in a way, I think it was a good thing for me to see to really realize because every kid, right, always wants their parents to get back together. Natural, yeah, yeah a very natural thing that we all feel. Uh, but I think that was the point at which I realized, okay, yeah, this is not going to work out and it's not going to continue. And I don't know that I fully consciously made that realization, but I think it was good for me to have uh, just seen some of that dynamic to, to, in my heart, reconcile that. And then, so it actually happened, it was still really painful and I struggled with it a lot, but it wasn't, I think part of me knew it it was necessary. And I think that helped me. 
Yeah. Do you still keep in touch um, with your father? Not at the moment. I did for a long time, but, uh, you know, he's, he's a very, um, let's see, how shall I put this? He's a very ambitious <laughs> okay. person, but he drums, he goes to the beat of his own drums and he, um, mm-hmm. I think he just was never really ready nor fully capable of, uh, a real, you know, commitment to anything outside of that. I think it was, it was difficult for him to be able to have that kind of structure and that kind of resolve. And so, yeah. So I just had okay. to kind of make peace for that. And it, and it was tough at times. And, you know, like I said, I mean, I, I, I kept in touch with him maybe a few times a year growing up, but yeah. at some point I just had to kind of understand and accept that this is, these are the differences between well I mean you have to do that for yourself exactly. for your own peace of mind exactly. to move forward as well yeah so you also said your mother was um, when she came to America she was busy mm-hmm. supporting um you and the grandparents but she yeah, was so she was a doctor in Russia and uh, there are several people who come over and some of them choose to continue that path and some do not because it's really different and so it requires starting from scratch, essentially, and a lot of the, just the concepts. And I'm not sure that this is true anymore per se, but at that time, for sure, there's quite heavy differences between just the approach to medicine in general, between Russia and America. Um, right. So yeah, so okay. she was she was studying on her own and she actually didn't go to med school. She just sat at the Harvard um, Medical Library. <laughs> and yeah, there are, wow. there are other Russian immigrants. <laughs> so she, they kind of formed this really tightly knit um, study group and they would study together. So the first priority was to learn English. And so she was supporting us through just odd jobs like cleaning houses and really anything she could do to bring in income. Exactly. That's what a mother and does. Yes. When she finally had that under her belt, she quickly you know, pivoted towards starting to knock out some of the exams that she would need in order to actually become a doctor and then uh, go to residency and fellowship and all of that. So that's exactly what she did. Yeah. So it took years. So um, certainly very proud of her for me being a child at that, at that really um, formative. Yeah. It was really tough to not have her around. And she, I mean, she was in there weekends, a lot of times, literally no breaks. Uh, so it was really, really tough. She would get home after I went to bed and she would leave before I left, before I woke up uh, for school. So, so it was really tough um, to not have her around and have access to her. And I really needed her at that time. So I'm sure. Yeah. yeah. Well, because obviously, I mean, you needed her and because your father had left too. So you yeah. needed a, you know, you yeah. needed your mom. My grandma, my grandma and both of my grandparents were really like my parents. They've always been, even when we were in Russia. Um, which was amazing, but certainly there were um, huge generational gaps, um, cultural differences. And I think they really tried, but it was, you know, it was really hard for them to understand how things were in this country and what, what was an actual danger and what was a threat and what wasn't. And I think at their age with everything they've been through, um, it was really difficult to even ask that of them, to, to even ask them to understand that. So they did the very best that they could. And I was really fortunate to have them. Um, yeah, that's really oh, great yeah. that they were yeah, in your life. Did. But like you said, they came from a Absolutely. totally different, different Absolutely. life and background. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, 
part of your story was you you went through obviously some yeah. difficult adjustments and then you said you fell into some unhealthy and abusive relationships. Yeah, you know, it was interesting. I was literally just having this conversation yesterday about the fact that, um, you know, oppression and um, resiliency and that what it takes to have resiliency, especially through really difficult situations in life. Um, at some point it's external. And then at another point it becomes internal because that little voice inside of us is constantly mm-hmm. developing. Um, yeah. Oh, so God, yeah. that's basically what happened is I had learned some or, or adapted some negative uh, self-talk and habits. And so uh, yeah, I basically, my first relationship that I fell into in high school uh, was not a very good one. And I think what, what initially drew us close was the fact that we could understand these kind of traumatic experiences we had had with, you know, our families or within our lives. Um, yeah, That's so yeah. common, And so uh, we stayed together for 16 years. Um, <laughs> and there's a lot of growth. And of course, it was like, you know, we... At times, we felt like all we had was each other who really understood. Did you think that was normal? I think, um, I mean, I'm a very loyal person just... by nature. <laughs> and, um, and yeah. you know, it's hard to say what's normal because so much of life had been, right, like what, normal by whose standards and normal. Right, but, yeah, but it was, it was comforting right? for sure. Way. And then was... there's also this kind of now I realize dangerous concept and you know my family so in a sense I think this this sort of ties into my family because unintentionally they loved so strongly and so deeply but it was it was almost in a sense smothering but not at all by awareness or intention whatsoever but it was this such a strong tight bond and it was like it was almost this concept of like nobody will ever love you the way I love you um and oh my God. Yeah, yeah. And so, but that's extremely um, detrimental at times because if you really adapt that, then you, it, it messes with self worth. It messes with boundaries. No, you do. And, and then, and that's the thing is you stayed yeah. 16 years. So you were, it, it was, yeah. you got used to it. Exactly. So it was like, a and norm. there's something extremely, um, so there's this relationship. I mean, it had turned physically abusive. It was emotionally abusive for sure. Um, it, uh, there's a sick codependency to it, but, you know, having abandonment issues with my primary caregivers, um, because that's kind of inevitable in my, in my specific situation. Yeah. Um, oh God. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, having somebody who like wants to be your everything and wants you to be that for them, there's just something so romantic about it. And it's so easy to get wrapped up in that, right. When they really want to, fully devote themselves to you and create the world with you. Right. Yeah. And so, that's what yeah, they call the yeah. love bomb. <laughs> it, definitely, it definitely was a no, bomb for sure. for sure. And it, so it took a long time for me to realize, uh, because I think that there were, there were things, right. Like missing out on relationships or like being questioned of like, well, why are you spending time with this person or what are you going to do? Or why do you need to do this thing? Why don't you, you know, just spend time with me or why don't you just come home eventually? Well, we got old and we're living. Yeah. No, I've been in that situation. Trust me. So what was the turning point? Yeah. So very unfortunately it was, um, I started to have this really kind of sick, almost call it like a cancer. It's not in the pit of my stomach. It's just the best way I can describe it because it was so toxic and it was so prevalent Mm -hmm. and it was, wasn't exactly a pain, but it's like, I could feel this 
really sick thing growing inside of me. And unfortunately, I didn't pay attention until it got to be quite constant and, and larger and larger. So, um, so by the time I finally, you know, and then there's, of course, other things like uh, my, my ex struggled with addiction, he had an addictive personality. And I know people handle you know, stress and trauma and all kinds of things in very different ways. So there was a part of me felt an obligation to see him through. That's what I was just going to ask you. Yeah, for sure. And, um, you know, and they, that person in a sense has given so much to you by being there. Right. And like celebrating all your wins and like crying with you about all the painful stuff and, and being your biggest champion. And so, you know, you don't want, you don't want to lose that. And for me, he was for a long time, the only constant in my life through all of my circles. Cause there was the school circles. Then there was the college circles, eventually work circles. And then my family. And so he was just yeah. such a, um, an enormous part of my life. Um, and it was just really, you know, the, 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 even the thought of losing that or even amending that at all was just inconceivable and excruciating for a really long time until I had to realize that not only was it not healthy for myself, it wasn't healthy for him either. Uh, it just got to be to a point where I felt like it was very stagnant and, and we were, you know, instead of growing together in a positive direction, it was very much the opposite. And so that was, you know, it wasn't just for myself that I, that that decision became very clear and I think initially the way I thought of yeah. it and the way I talked about it with him was, uh, you know, either we realize that in fact, like this is the perfect thing for us and, and we come back to each other or we realize, well, you know what? Okay. This wasn't for us, but you know, we're still grateful for the memories. And now was it mutual? Um, mutual is a really complex. Hi, I'm so sorry. Yeah. We got disconnected no, okay. somehow. Yeah, no, it's okay. Um, where left off? Yeah, we were just saying that how it wasn't mutual um, mm-hmm. to a point of both of you leaving each other after 16 years. Yeah, it was, um, I think it just, it got to be uh, a situation where initially he initiated it, uh, but it almost didn't feel serious and we were still living together. And um, as I, as I was as my world was destroyed and I was trying to wrap my mind around that and trying to really understand what that meant because I was convinced like, this is it for me. I'm going to be alone for the rest of my life. I was in my early thirties at this point. And then you just felt alone. Like, could you do this? Right. So completely alone and terrified. And like, how could I ever allow somebody else in or even find somebody that I would ever feel comfortable enough to even conceive of that notion with. Um, and so just, just completely rocked me. And I remember it took me a few years to fully wrap my mind around that and to start to change my behavior because as I mentioned, so there's a lot of kind of controlling sort of mind games. And I, I don't know that they were a hundred percent intentional. Oh, honey, I've been there. Yeah. So I know the but they were very much there and so and being young because when it all started I was still really young um I didn't know that that wasn't healthy and that that wasn't right and that things were kind of heading down a not a great path and but but being so grateful to have somebody who's 100% your cheerleader and who gets you and who's there 
you want to preserve that and you want to honor that and you want to, you know, accommodate. And then you realize, well, it takes work and it takes commitment and it takes compromise, right? So you, your mind just sort of maybe rationalizes because there are certain things that it really wants or certain needs are greater than other needs. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So I found myself and I didn't realize it until years and years and years later, uh, how much my body language and just the way I interacted, like I was so insanely aware of every little nuance and the way that I would send signals to others, right? Like just. Isn't it amazing how later on in life you realize some of the stuff that you, you had learned without really knowing you learned Absolutely. It? Yeah. And that was yeah. the stuff though, that kept me at a distance always. And um, and also in this situation, right? Like there wasn't even an opportunity for others to possibly recognize, Hey, something might be wrong. Right. So, or, or to offer support or to even notice and, you know, I don't know, you yeah. anything. Yeah. So I've really had to come from within. So, um, so like I said, you know, I stayed for a really, really long time and, uh, thankfully he was doing better towards the end. And I felt like, and I was coming around to fully embracing and understanding and uh, parsing out what that really meant for me to be single and to conceive of life after this relationship. Right. So that was the point at which I think it started to really settle in. This is not a healthy situation and this really is for the better and it needs to happen at the very least just a break because we'd never really truly had one. The longest that we had had as, as a break was when I was studying abroad. And even then we were, you know, we were talking regularly on the phone and completely yeah. connected. So, yeah, um, well, you realized it and you recognized it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it took 16 years, but you did, but you also had that formative, mm-hmm. you know, where you recognized it in yourself and you felt yeah. it and you know, you needed something had to be done. So you went through all of that mm-hmm. and then you went through educating yourself in psychology and working with a DBT group. So yeah. explain to me what all of that is and why. Yes. So actually I think the therapy piece started a lot. So there are aspects of that awareness that I had always kind of been drawn to anyway, because of my childhood and just understanding interpersonal relationships that are always been a priority and of intense, intense interest for myself. So growing up, I mean, even in school, I took AP psych classes and in college sociology and philosophy classes. So all of that was um, pretty prevalent for me, always reading up on anything I could get my hands on any articles around these uh, subjects. Uh, yeah, you just wanted to know. Yes, very much so. And as part of my ex uh, going through his recovery process, he had to do an exit interview and there was a therapy component. And so I had to go, we had to both meet with a therapist to help him be successful because I was, um, you know, so involved in his life. We were living together and I was, you know, uh-huh. his family. So uh, we had to kind of talk about some of the things. And as a result of that, they also advised that we each speak to a therapist. So they hooked us up with, uh, I think it was a social worker at that time. And so she started to really, you know, there's a moment at which I had read up on all of the things about abusive relationships. And I remember sitting at home and watching programs or reading articles and just being like, wow, like how does somebody get to, to that kind of a point? And then speaking with a social worker after a few sessions, I had to realize like, oh my gosh, here I am and I'm a statistic and I didn't even know it. Yeah. <laughs> or oh I would gosh. never be one because I, I know about these things, you know, I you know, we all do that. Like, I didn't think I was that person to be in an abusive relationship, but the, here, there right. I was. 
So we never yeah. know about ourselves until we realize it exactly. later. Exactly. And it was just such a shocking moment because like I said, I thought I had been um, good about, you know, checking in and paying attention to all the signs and certainly knew about all the warnings. Um, Not when you're yeah, in it. You, don't you really it. don't. And also your mind has a really incredible ability to rationalize, right? Um, oh, for sure. Yeah. And so like danger is a really interesting thing because it's whatever you're perceiving to be your danger, probably based on whatever your internal needs are at that moment. And they don't always align yeah. with the way the outside world would classify some of these things. Right. So, Absolutely. Yeah. So that was very much my experience. So I had to, you know, it kind of just hit me like a wall. And I think I was just in shock, just trying to really understand. And she talked to me more extensively about codependency and what that really was and uh, all of these, all of these things and what is toxic and how not to um, completely abandon your own needs just for the sake of somebody else's. Oh my God. Yeah. That's so important. Yeah, Maria. So, important. Mean, so, important. so important. And we're, I think we're all guilty of that to some degree at some point. Um, and so, you know, really, really just sitting with that and really letting that sink into myself and realizing, you know, wow, this really, this really has a lot of merit to it and I need to take it seriously and I need to do something about it. Yeah. And so that was the point at which, like I said, you know, we started to, we already were kind of, even though we were living together, still best friends, um, he was still acting like nothing had really changed, it felt like as far as the way he was talking to me. Um, but for yeah. myself, I was like, I'm single now. I need to, <laughs> I need to be active. You need to live your yeah. life. And so I, I think that was when it was starting to really take flight for me, this idea that there is life beyond this and that this is actually a positive, even though painful experience and it has yeah. to happen. Yeah. Um, and so so you managed to heal your past hurts and stop the cycle of trauma and abuse? Um, it's been a, quite the journey, well beyond this point. I mean, it's been me seeking individual therapy afterwards and really you know, really uh -huh. getting very honest. And I can't say it's been easy and I can't say that it's been nothing but, you know, roses. <laughs> oh, of yeah. course. Uh, so definitely a lot of work for myself. And then I would say... Um, the biggest thing that happened was, so uh, my stepdaughter, who I really have always viewed as my daughter, um, came to us two years ago, a little over two years ago, and she told us that she was being abused physically and emotionally and sexually while living with her mom and stepdad. She was, oh my God. She was with us every weekend uh, ever since I, I met her, which I didn't meet her right away until things were very official. And then it was like, Depending on how this goes, we will know whether we move forward with this. She was the oh. deciding factor. Oh my goodness! Um, but she was—I mean, we just we hit it off so so quickly right away, uh, and it was amazing. So um, anyway, so we had her every weekend, and um, she was living with them during the week. And so, um, I'm so glad you got her out of that. That's yeah, amazing. yeah. I mean, I'm just really glad that she kind of she kind of basically just accidentally mentioned something during one of our catch up. So every Friday, my fiance would pick her up because uh, of the nature of my work, I'd get home later. And he worked kind of closer to the town where her mom oh. had lived at that time. And so he would pick her up from school and bring her home. And then he would have already gotten his time to catch up with her. And then I'd come home and we would do our like catch up of like, tell me about your week and everything. 
and um and she kind of slipped up yeah and um and talked about being fed hard alcohol by her stepfather and then just like inappropriate like games of truth or dare and being told that she was sexy and all these things that were horrific yeah and um and what we learned which was so painful is that this has been going on this whole time that they'd been living together so five years for her and she was 12 at that time so it started when she was just seven and she's the sweetest kid are you kidding yeah it was horrific and honestly just being responsible parents we would check in because you never know right like you just never know like kids are little and they you know you just never you just never know like they're around whoever throughout their days and and things happen these days and it's important to just check in with kids anyway so we did that regularly um but she would never say anything the most she would say because she would she would cry and she'd get really really worried about homework in particular and when we would say well what what happens you know like what what kind of discipline or like why do you get so upset about it you're learning like it's okay and she would just say like I just don't want to get yelled at is what she would say it turned out she was also getting hit regularly and um just yeah, all kinds of really oh. terrible things that yeah poor baby girl to deal with. Yeah. um and so uh it came out that the sexual abuse part didn't come out until the following weekend um so I would say it was about maybe 12 days in total I'm trying to remember now um yeah Anyway, we went to court and contacted a lawyer and everything and got the whole process rolling. And it's it's so crazy because there's so much uncertainty in the beginning, right? Like we had to go to court and mom had to show up and kind of tell her side of things, of course, because these are like really serious. Was there a side that she could tell? I mean, honestly, yeah. her daughter. I mean, daughter- honestly, there really wasn't much. She was kind of trying to cling to things she didn't really have. Um yeah, she didn't really have, um, you know, much, but also kids are encouraged to kind of be kept out of the process. So it wasn't like she, our daughter was involved in, in any of this because it was really to be handled by the adults, which I think is definitely the right way to go about these things. Um, Oh yeah. She doesn't need any more trauma, but I'm so glad you got her out of that. So let's kind of reverse it. I don't want to go too negative because I just, I feel like it's going to break my heart. um, Ironically enough, like even though there's so many variables and so many question marks, especially because, you know, this was her father and the law and mass usually tends to favor mothers naturally, which is understandable. Um, But I remember I had this horrific, again, the same type of like cancerous pit in the pit of my stomach towards the end of like, just something is wrong. Even before she told us, like, just something is wrong because there's, you know, Uh it was intuition intuition very much. And I just felt so not okay whenever she wasn't with us. Um, Like I was just worried consistently. I, I could barely sleep. I was just constantly wrapping my brain and trying to understand what could be causing you know, this really unusual behavior. She would not do homework all week, but then she would, um, and we would catch her up on all of her homework, but then she wouldn't turn it in. And just all these kinds of inconsistencies, but then she would be bawling her eyes out, feeling really guilty and really bad. So there's a lot of remorse. So it just, it just felt like it was inconsistent. Yeah, you knew something was wrong. And I have to say, like I said, once the court stuff happened, even though there's all kinds of, questions still and nothing was settled and it was still terrifying it was just such a sense of relief of like she's not she's right next door to her bedroom she's safe 
she's healthy. We're going to make sure she's okay. We're going to get her whatever help she needs. We're going to make sure she's eating well, right? Like just, just knowing that was an instant, even though it was the worst, the worst type of knowing, right? Because it's like the confirmation of your fears. Right. But now you know she's safe. Exactly. And that was just such an enormous um, piece of relief for me. And that was the point I think I started to really awaken to the concept of trusting my intuition. Because again, I think when there's abuse and trauma, one of the first things that goes is maybe that awareness um, until it's so loud <laughs> within you and resonates strongly. That you can yeah, exactly. Kind of screams at you. Um, and so, you know, and then I think while I was really kind of taking the lead on ensuring, just because I've, I've always been in the medical field, I worked in healthcare for over 12 years. Um, I really kind of took the lead on ensuring that she had the right help that she needed from a medical standpoint, like psychologist, psychiatrist, whatever. And, um, and what I realized as I was, you know, really trying to lead by example was that my own trauma had still not been a hundred percent resolved and that, you know, um, you know, if I'm really going to authentically guide her and be a, a sort of model or mentor to her, I owe it to her to <laughs> sort out my own stuff, right. To make sure that I'm coming from a really authentic place. Yeah, yeah. And so, um, so that was when I learned about a DBT group, which is just really fortunate. We live in Boston, so we have access to incredible, incredible healthcare institutions. And Mass General uh, runs an, an amazing group uh, of DBT. Um, and they're basically, it's life skills. And it's, um, it's under the cognitive behavioral health umbrella, but it really focuses on how you feel. So identifying, paying attention to emotions, trying to identify emotions, and then um, focusing on that balance of the self, um, what you're hoping for, like a particular goal, and then the relationship with the other individuals involved, including the one with yourself, and kind of keeping all of those things in balance. And there's various different tools um, because there's like several different modules that are part of the program that um, you go through. And I just, it was life changing for me. Um, just, it was, and it was also, it felt like such a wonderful confirmation of the fact that these things exist because this is something I'd been searching for all my life and there's just an inkling inside of me that felt like it has to be out there there's solutions uh-huh. there's a comprehensive way to talk about these things yeah but you but you knew in the pit of your stomach too that you this is the route yeah. you wanted to go I mean there was a you from your childhood to what happened in your mm-hmm. in your life from then forward that this is your path, it resonated yeah. with you that you wanted yeah, to and help it was so and crazy heal. Because I remember driving yeah. with my stepdaughter um, at some point kind of early on with all of this. And it felt like the whole world slowed down and it was a typical road. Like it was a very typical route we were taking right near our home and the whole world slowed down and just something almost told me, I could almost hear the voice. Like, this is what all of these 25 years leading up to this have been about. It's been about this moment. Um, Oh, it's just so yeah. amazing um, and kind of insane, <laughs> but no, but it's, yeah. it's just, that's how it happens sometimes. So you're, you realize mm-hmm. that your calling was to help people by healing trauma and breaking its cycle through. Yeah. So I got a coaching? certification in parent coaching because I think I did a lot of um, soul searching and I, I really also call it divine intervention. I was between jobs and with yet another layoff and um i 
something inside of me was kind of dragging my feet about going into marketing and sales again. And um, parent coaching popped up in one of my Google searches. And I was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I've never heard of this before. This sounds amazing. And I read up on it. And then yeah. I think within the, within a day's time, I was already signed up for the program. Um, yeah. Oh my it, just, gosh, it, you. it really put so much of my own experience into perspective for me because it just really brought everything around and brought it all together. And it really validated a lot of the things I think I had experienced that I didn't fully yeah. understand. So do, would you, yeah. s- okay, sorry. Yeah. I don't mean to interrupt you. I'm sorry about that. Did, do, do you think that, you know, by you're doing the parent coaching, do you think that by helping others, it's also helping yourself? Along I think the way? there is an aspect to this work where, and, and actually it's interesting. I think in general in life, we're always growing. Um, I, I've read, I reflected on this the other day. Mm-hmm. I think somebody asked me, you know, are you done? And I had answered that, yes, you know, I think I am totally free from the things that were holding me back. But I think the truth is that it's always possible to go deeper, but you don't know what you don't know. Right. So as much as, yeah. So as much as it you feels exactly. like I'm done, I think there's always dimensions and nuances and aspects that we realize along the way, if we pursue the things that feel really important to us, um, where we, we do develop right. those, those other things. So it's really hard to say, right. Like, am I completely done? Because yeah. Cause I just think I, there's always room for growth or deepening of understanding or, um, improvement or just knowledge. Yeah. And then there's also those things that are buried so deep in your subconscious. Sometimes like later on in life, you just kind of sit and you're like, yeah. Oh my God, that's exactly yeah. why I do this. Or I remember this now Absolutely. or something just kind of clicks. So there's always 100%. room to learn. And, and I grow. think too, it's almost like the concept of journaling, right? Like I think the reason it's so successful and there are medical studies showing that it, it has tremendous success with people who have undergone trauma when they, when they take up journaling. And I think one of the reasons is because it's forcing to get really clear and put into words your experience and your feelings and then allows you the opportunity to record it and maybe reflect back on it and I think it's almost the same way through this work where having to help somebody go through and make sense of their experience and you know learn ways to maneuver and break through Uh, certain obstacles or struggles that they are having with it all or setbacks that they're having uh, allows me that deeper understanding or just to make better sense of the experience that I can be more effective as a resource for them. Yeah. So your website is um, www.restorativeparentcoaching.com, correct? So is that more geared toward toward helping parents with their children or is it? So the way I work is specifically children? with parents because there's a concept that, um, first of all, kids, you know, they can get very self-conscious when parents are talking about them, especially candidly. And the idea is not mm-hmm. at all to shame them or make them feel uncomfortable um, or inadequate. And the other piece to it is, you know, right. it's really about the caregivers, empowering the caregivers to take control and to take um, 
you know, to take the initiative in the relationships and the foundations of those relationships. And they're completely capable of doing it because we're all doing the best that we can, right? So it's it's really, it's just about building on right. success. Everybody has success. And, you know, we all have some things that we might maybe wish that we could do differently or just struggle with. And it's so the, the way that I work much just about learning me, and, and understanding and working together to build on success. So let me ask you this question. I had heard the other day, and I don't know how true it is, and I think it might have just been for someone who was in the in the school district industry. And she said that one of the statistics she heard was now that we're kind of working remote and there's a lot more people quarantined and are home alone mm-hmm. with their children, the children not going to school. I had heard that there could, there was an increase in like child abuse cases because they're spending so much more time with their children than they ever did before. Um, what do I you think feel about that? Uh, when there's, you know, insidious things that we haven't worked through. I think a lot of our parenting in general, right? Like we get programmed. Um, there's, there's a concept um, that in, up until seven years old, we're in theta mode, which means we're just downloading whatever we're exposed to and are around. Yes. And I think especially when it comes to parenting, yep. right? Like we bring with us whatever the experience is, even if it's a negative experience and we don't want to bring that in unless we're consciously doing work to work through that and to really understand it and where it stems from and how to break those cycles, we inherently, you know, even if unintentionally bring that into our own parenting journey. And then on top of that, our kids have this incredibly Mm -hmm. uncanny way of bringing out and hitting on all of the stuff that we thought we did ourselves. And they just just know how to get right to the heart of that wound or that trigger. And, um, you know, I, I think that it's just things come to light, you know, when we are in close confines with each other, things like that come to light. Yeah. I mean, I've, I heard, yeah, I totally agree with that. And I heard that. Mm-hmm. And I really hope that that's not true and that, yeah. you know, doesn't happen, but we just don't know what's yeah. going to come to light with all this stuff. And pray but. that it's an opportunity for us to notice that, right? Because maybe some of that gets watered down on our regular every day because we're so busy running around and there's so many other distractions, right? Mm-hmm. The, the busyness of life in the way. So maybe this is an opportunity yeah. to really notice some of those things and actually address them because parenting relationship can be so incredibly yeah, I, beautiful. And also the key thing to remember, no matter what is going on, no matter how you know, much of a rift a parent feels that there is between them and their child, and no matter what age the child is, that child is always going to think of that parent as a superhero. And no matter what, no matter how angry they are and upset they are and how many walls they build, they want a relationship with that caregiver, but it's going to require a lot of times for that caregiver to take the first step. And so it's never too late is the point. And it's, there's never a situation that one cannot fix. And so you don't have to give up hope and you don't have to give up on the idea of having a relationship with your child, no matter what age. And so honestly, I was going to say the coaching I do, I mean, it's not just for young children, though it is, it also can very much be about understanding your own path with your own family dynamic and your own childhood and your own parents and enhancing those relationships and 
I just want people to move away with the concept that it's never too late. Yeah. That's a good point. It makes me want to really reach out to my mom. Her and I have not spoken in probably 10 years. So it's, it's something that, you know, and it's brought to light talking to you about my relationship. Like I said, with my mom, my kids and I have a really good relationship, but my mother and I do not. And I probably will yeah. go reach out to her today. And cause it's not about anything yeah, in particular. Yeah. I don't even remember what it's about anymore, you know? So, yep. So I, I really appreciate you. Thank you for telling your story and congratulations on making it out and thriving on your business. So how long have you been in business? Yeah. So I've been building this since last year, since 2019, but, um, you know, I mean, it's, it's constantly growing and evolving and I'm just really grateful to be able to do this work. And my ultimate hope is just that we are able to, um, break the stigma of mental illness and mental well-being and understand that there are tools now that we did not have available to us for a very long time. And especially in this world of the internet and um, access, right, that we have now more than before. And I would really love to see things like DBT skills incorporated into schools and just on a much broader level, because like I said, they're just essential life, life skills and very much rooted. Yeah. I think we need to go back to that in schools. When when I was in school, and I don't know about you, when you were in school, it's like we always had cooking mm-hmm. and home ec and some kind of coping mechanisms for yeah. certain things. We'd have you know counseling sessions. They do not have that in schools anymore, and I, yeah, I just 100%. think they need to bring and it all back. The beautiful thing anymore. is there are already ready-made programs for DBT classes in schools that could easily be mm-hmm. um, folded right into the regular curriculum. Uh, so I, I just really think it's time, right? Like if yeah. we look at our society leading up to this pandemic, especially in North America, um, and we consider all the school shootings and then just the other mass shootings that seem random, but really I believe that it all comes from, you know, emotional and mental unwellness and toxicity that's been building and building and building and somebody just has never really had a support system or a way to even acknowledge it or begin to deal with it and then eventually just like a balloon after it explodes to a certain degree worst exactly so um so i really believe that these are just critical critical skills and it's like that pink elephant in the room that we don't want to look at but it's really time for us to pay attention and to take and to build in some measures to, yeah, to help, especially our youth, because I feel like that's where we can really cut it off at, at the feet, you know, to prevent it from spreading and really make a, a true. Impact. Yeah. No, I really love the fact that you're doing that and that yeah. um, <laughs> I've never heard of parent coaching myself. So um, when you mention that mm-hmm. it's, it, I mean, it, it makes perfect sense. I mean, mm-hmm. I, my kids are grown out of the house and I don't know if it would benefit me, but I know it would benefit a lot of the people mm-hmm. that I know personally who have younger children. And so when they um, go to they'll your see website, a little bit about the expect? benefits, the basic benefits, but really um, I love to do free consultation sessions because I'm a big believer of it has to be the right fit. Right. And another key thing, in addition to consider with regard to really, I think anybody in the medical profession as well, also like therapists and doctors is just a personality click. It's important to make sure that you feel comfortable, that you feel that you're being heard and that you can trust 
the provider and that you're on the same page with regard to mm -hmm. your values. So um, all anybody that would be willing to consider working with me, I'd wanna make sure that we feel comfortable and are good um, on, on those things and that we align and that it really does make sense. Cause there's a lot of people who do parent coaching and other types of coaching. And it's very possible that that might be a better, a better fit for somebody. Mm -hmm. So, um, Right. So once you talk to them, then you'll figure out if you're a fit. If you're not, Absolutely. then you recommend Absolutely. others. I'm happy to direct people be to resources them. because I'm just a big believer and it's important to, to do this for yourself. And it's not about who's doing it. It's just about doing it. Oh, that's so wonderful, Maria. Mm -hmm. I am so glad that you talked to me today and, and I'm going to put your website in the show notes so everybody can find you and do you have an um, Instagram I am on Facebook or Facebook and I'm or on just LinkedIn the website right now and Instagram is something that is a future plan but I'm not quite there yet and then yeah certainly the website and the website will have all of those updates as well okay. as as that rolls out oh that's awesome um I am enthralled by your life and what you've done to you know, better yourself you. and for thank better you other so people. Much. And thank you for amazing. inviting me thank to speak so to you today. Oh, you're very welcome. So we will keep in touch. And if you have any updates and um, an Instagram update, shoot me a message and we'll go ahead and put it another awesome. show together. That would be fantastic. Other I would love to the works. How's that? Perfect. You thank too. you so Take much, Maria. You have a really fantastic Bye -bye. day. Okay. Oh, saying goodbye sometimes is so hard. That's it for today, my lovely listeners. And thank you for tuning in. And a big thank you to Maria for sharing her powerful story of transformation. And if you and your family would like a free parent coaching consultation, head over to her website at www.restorativeparentcoaching.com. Oh, and lovely listeners, tune in next week as we talk to Yvette Bodden. Be prepared to be awakened. She is the author and founder of Awakened Woman and writer for Be Latina Magazine. See you on the flip side. Mm -hmm.